How strong do you think his fingers are? Stronger than my entire body. (laughs) (laughs) Those strong fingers belong to Uli Steck. He's a Swiss alpinist, world-renowned for his speed ascents in the Alps and the Himalayas. You don't get the nickname the Swiss machine by by not climbing every day. The Swiss machine climbs routes that take skilled climbers days in hours. That's insane. Uh It's crazy. Well, he was on a big two-and-a-half-week speaking tour with the American Alpine Club and Alpino Watches. In each city, he stops at a local climbing gym, will climb for a few hours, then he'll go run for an hour or two. Then he gives his talk in the evening fly to another city, lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah, he cruises pretty fast. Uh, but then we get him on the hard routes on the overhanging roof to slow him down. Okay. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, I'll throw a weight vest on him. <laughs> I caught up with the American Alpine Club team and Uli at Metro Rock. It's a climbing gym right outside of Boston. In the first 10 or so minutes of this episode, you'll hear my chat with Uli at the gym. And after that, you'll hear Uli's presentation at the Somerville Theater in Boston. He's talking about his 82 Summits Challenge. That's all coming up. I'm Ben Shank, your host. You're listening to Mountain Meister. I am so excited to welcome a new Mountain Meister sponsor. You may have heard of them. It is Steo. Steo is designed, developed, and tested right at the base of the Tetons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Steo was founded to inspire a connection with the outdoors through modern, technical, and versatile apparel. They've got everything from your storm-ready backcountry ski wear to the things you wear in the quieter moments of mountain life, like your flannels, your fleece, and your denim. For 20% off of your purchase, head over to steo.com. That's S-T-I-O.com. Use the code MEISTER at checkout. You have to know what you, you're going to do, and the 82 Summits project was for sure it's going to be a long time. The 82 Summits Challenge is a little different than the projects that we're used to seeing from Uli Steck, where speed is the most important part. In this one, it was all about endurance. Like, it's going to be over a period of two months, so I think the most important part is that your body can hold a constant, like, movement in in two months it means uh, you're not moving that fast over the course of two months Uli summited all 82 of the 4,000 meter peaks in the Alps and not only did he summit them he forced himself to access and connect each peak by pure manpower no trains no chairlifts no cars only hiking biking running and climbing which begs the question how does one prepare his or her body for this? So I was concentrate on like long like baseline runs and uh, on cycling and yeah, a lot of endurance. Staying constantly moving the whole day because that's what you'd be doing in this challenge? Yeah, I like some really long days when I, cl- I climbed some mountains, got back to the valley and then got on the, on the, on the bike and cycling to the next mountain. So... It was kind of like this, just more like on a low heart rate, Mm -hmm. moving, uh, yeah. 
You'll hear more about the details of this project later when Uli talks in his presentation. But what interested me more about my time at Metro Rock was how even though what Uli does seems to be superhuman, he faces a lot of the same challenges that we do on a day-to-day basis. For example, when he's traveling for work, he also has trouble staying in shape. Uh, tours like this here, this this completely re- is not ideal at all. It's like, especially the whole traveling, time changes. I mean, I, if I would have a, a project this fall, I would never do that mm. because I, now I, I just lose fitness, even if I train. And I mean, my body gets worked just from traveling and time change. And uh, so you cannot train uh, how I want to train. And, and the hours are so short. I mean, now I come here to Boston uh, 10 o'clock and then 4, 4 p.m. I have to be at the AV check so it's just six hours and you have to get some training in that that's that's definitely not enough so for you you are losing uh you're losing your fitness as you go on the speaking tour yes another challenge making sacrifices I was surprised that after Uli said that he really enjoyed riding his bike to all these different peaks that he wouldn't be riding his bike much in the future why because to stay one of the best climbers in the world you have to climb you know, you have to be really careful. Like, you, you can't do everything. And uh, for me, climbing and endurance, it's uh, it's already a, a lot. Like, it's already quite hard to to stay on a on a on a good level on both. And uh, and now add cycling as well. It's it, it's gonna get too much. And uh, so I I do sometimes just for fun. But I think for mountaineering, cycling is not. A really efficient training. It <laughs> doesn't add much? <laughs> no. How about mental training? Do you ever do any, any sort of mental training? For me, like, you know, mental is something you cannot measure it. And uh, I think it's, it's really important you have, like, your whole environment and your whole situation is, has to be a good and you have to, to like it. And, like, for me, it's also very important, like, to have good people around me and uh, mm. this this helps a lot this is like the, this general being happy you know I think that's, that's something really important but then really like get on a project I think for myself I just need to be able to train as perfect as possible and then I got the mental strength because then I I believe I'm perfectly prepared and if I don't have that uh, I I don't get it. I don't do it, and uh, and this is super easy because, like, like physical strength you can measure. That's that's something really easy. And with this measurement, I know where exactly I'm. I am, and then I know where I want to be to do a certain thing. And then you get the you get the the mental strength to do it. So you said surrounding yourself with other people, which I thought was so interesting on this 82 Summits project where you started with one person who then got injured, couldn't uh, proceed. And then you kind of threw in an audible there and said, why not climb all the rest of the peaks with different people, whoever is uh, convenient and can can do it with you? Afterwards, I have to say it was was one of the best things that could happen. Nothing against uh, Michi or whatever, but for me... the whole project completely changed and uh, 
I had so much fun during the whole summer climbing with all these different people. Of course, if if you would be just two people, the whole thing would be much faster because you, you're much more efficient. But, but like this, sometimes I had to wait a day somewhere for another per partner to go. But it was so cool with different partners to climb. And, and each climb had like a different aspect, you know. Like I did climb, which I did solo, where I, I wanted to be as quite fast or do something which really like my own performance was very important and I did some climbs with I did climb climbs with my wife or with some old friends which are not really good mountaineers but we just shared the day together and so so the whole project got a completely new new dimension I've never I was never planning on and I have to say like I like when I finished Barla's Ekra, I was kind of sad. Like, oh shit, it's why it's over now. I want to keep going like that because we had such a good time. Especially like me and and Daniel, the, the guy who did the support. He's one of my best friends, and we were like really enjoying the whole summer together. And we were kind of like, oh, we should keep going. So, what do we need to do to prepare for our own 82 Summits Challenge? For Uli, there are a few things that stuck out to me, and I have a feeling that these will work for us, whether we are Swiss machines or not. First, work on your weaknesses. It's super easy to say, like, my coach is really good to see all my weaknesses, okay. and he comes up with all this exercise to just work on my weakness, and they're usually the, the exercise I hate the most. Okay. <laughs> what's, what's your weakness, would you say? I think my whole body tension and is, is, is pretty bad. Okay. Number two, give yourself goals. I, I always need a goal. Like, I cannot just train for maybe this or this. I really need always a specific project, mm-hmm. and then I make my training plan, and then I stick to it. If I don't have, like, a, a goal or a target I want to reach, I cannot train. Mm-hmm. It, I'm not motivated. I really need to to know where I want to go and what I'm training for. And finally, train with people who are better than you. The last question I was wondering, it, it helps it helps me and I've heard this helps other people too, to train with somebody who's better than you, somebody who's uh, who you can elevate your own uh, effort to match theirs. But when you're one of the best in the world at what you do, how do you find those people to surround yourself with greater talent? It's, it's super easy. You just have to split the training. Like, when I go running, I'm not a super fast runner. So I go with the runners. Mm-hmm. They're much faster than me. So I train much harder. And it, it's super easy. Like, and uh, if I go, if I want to go rock climbing, I can go with just pure rock climbers. And they, they, they're stronger than me. So, so you always find a solution. There's, there's, there are always people... Uh, stronger, mm-hmm. but of course, in mountaineering itself, it's hard to find somebody that that's stronger. But if you split the training, what I do, it, it's super easy, and you, you just train uh, specific. Find the right recipe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been really fun to watch you fly up the wall. Look forward to hearing you speak tonight. Thank you, Uli. Thank you. 
Coming up is Uli's presentation of his 82 Summits Challenge at the Somerville Theater in Boston. That's presented by Alpina Watches. Thanks also to the support of the American Alpine Club. Join a network of 16,000 climbers that are just as cool as you are. Go to AmericanAlpineClub.org. Click join. Use the code MEISTER at checkout and you'll receive a free AAC gift. Finally, if you want to see pictures and videos of my chat with Uli, you can at mtnmeister.com. There's one of Uli climbing up one of those campus boards where you can only fit the first part of your fingers on the edge of it. He climbs up the ladder and you can see all of his body fat in this video, or lack thereof, I should say. mtnmeister.com. All right, without further ado, here's Uli at the Somerville Theater in Boston. Was 
like you don't take a car or any telephone. So uh, between the mountains, you 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 walk or you take a, a bike, but you never take a car or something like uh, which is not from your from your own power. So that was the basic idea of, of this project in 2004. Patrick Barrow, unfortunately, he couldn't finish that project. He, he died on cash or he, he got into falling into a crevasse and he died there. So he couldn't finish that project. But that was actually the moment where this idea was born. And in 2007, there was a Slovenian guy and he actually did that whole project in 102 days. And in 2008, there were two Italian climbers that did it in 60 days. So uh, I was not the first to do that, but it was something I was really into. It. I was thinking like, oh, that's not, I want to do climbing something at home uh, in, in the Alps. And that's why I started to, to think about this project. And uh, I found a really, really good partner. It's uh, Mickey Wollen here. He's a young German uh, mountain guide. And we started to plan that, that whole idea. And of course, you have to think a little bit, like how are you going to connect this now? You know, it doesn't make sense to you, I don't know, you start at home in the Bernerobaran, and then you have to recycle to Big Bernina, and then you go back to, I don't know, to, to, to Chamonix. I mean, you, you need to have a little bit, uh, you have to dial it out a little bit where, where you start. And we decided you're going to start, start on the far east on Big Bernina, climb that mountain, then we cycle all the way to the Berner Roblox, that's actually where I live here in Interlaken. So climb all these 4,000 meter peaks, then go down to Wallis, and then finally to the Chamonix area, and then San Paradiso, and then the two left, or in far south, far the same track. That was a little bit the journey we wanted to do. And uh, we planned that quite uh, half a year before and we started the project and we were sort of think like, I mean, how far is that? I mean, we, we don't know. And uh, we were calculating, yeah, maybe it's going to be around uh, 100,000 vertical meters. It means around 400,000 vertical feet. And uh, we, we calculated around uh, 1,000 miles of cycling, more or less. And the end, we were pretty close and was a little bit more of vertical meters to climb. It was 117,000 vertical meters because I tracked the whole thing. And uh, it was 1,700 uh, kilometers. So, I mean, that's pretty close to 1,000 miles where what we had to cycle. But this is just just a number. I mean, that, this is some, something besides. But um, yeah, we, we, we were starting to, to put everything together. I mean, there were a lot of I didn't even know. I've never climbed. Most of them I've never climbed. I mean, these 4,000 meter peaks, the technical, uh, they're pretty easy, the most of them. So I was not really interested when I was younger in climbing these peaks. But now, with the whole journey, it got a really, really interesting project. But we needed also somebody to help us out. Because, of course, we were, we were planning just cycling between the mountains, but somebody also had has to carry all this equipment and we will be on the road maybe for two, three months. So you need a lot of equipment, you need food and you need somebody uh, who, who carries the bike because sometimes you climb a mountain from one valley and then you descend to the other valley. So somebody has to bring uh, the bike to the other valley and uh, we were looking for a, for a good supporter and we found uh, a good friend of mine, actually, my, my best friend, I climb a lot with him, and that's Daniel Mother, and he was actually the driver and uh, a little bit 
the guy who was managing the, the whole logistics beside the climbing. So he was like, during the whole trip, he was completely always psyched, and he was, he was, I think, uh, a really, really important member of, of the whole team, and without him, I would never be able to do that whole project. But uh, the rest was pretty simple, you know. We had like just ran, I ran with all the support, and the rest was just okay. Now we're gonna we're gonna cycle a little bit, we're gonna run a bit, we're gonna climb a little bit, and sometimes if we if we are lucky, we bring also our wings, so maybe we can fly down from from the peak, so it's a little bit better for your knees. And, and uh, that that was basically the, the idea. Of course, you have to be careful, you know, once you get a little bit older, you have to think about, like, your joints and everything, and then... Uh, and we had, a, we had a perfect start. You can imagine, like, when you plan a project like that, we were saying, okay, we're going to start the whole pro- project June 10th. You decide that, like, in some in, in January, and you don't know if it's going to be good conditions or it's going to or or good weather. And we were really lucky; we really could start June 11th, and that was kind of a, a day, you know, kind of a release. You know, like once you start the project, we were into it. And uh, I think this was also something. I think that was the, the biggest um, the, the biggest challenge of that project that you, you didn't get nervous. You can imagine when you start. Uh, such a big project. We have 82 peaks to climb, and you're on the first peak, and you worry already. What's what's gonna be in like maybe two months? You know, is it gonna be good weather, or or are we still fit enough? And and this can this can completely destroy you in your head. So you really have 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 to start climbing and just taking day by day. And that was a little bit my mindset for that whole whole project. I. I didn't put any pressure on me. I was just going on it and say, yeah, I climbing one peak after the other. At the end of the summer, I gonna see how many how many four thousand meter peaks I climb, and I don't really care. I, I just I just wanna climb as much as I can during the summer. And uh, and then so, so on the on peak Bernina, we were we were really lucky. It was really easy to climb, and then we wanted to fly down. We brought all our wings, but the, the wind was not really really perfect to launch the wings. We had like to to try at least half an hour, 45 minutes until we could could launch because the wind was coming completely from the wrong side, just from the back and that's really hard to launch. Usually you, you, you can't launch your wing but uh, we managed it somehow and uh, once you're in the air it's pretty easy, you know, like it goes from, it just flies down and then uh, towards the valley and it's beautiful but there's another problem. We have just really small wings because they're much lighter. My wing is like 1.2 kilo. It's a really, really small wing. So I could not make it into the valley. On a certain moment, you realize, oh, shit, I have to land. You know, like, oh, but where are, oh, these trees everywhere, trees and rocks. And then, like, uh, I managed to find finally to, to get to the ground. And, uh, yeah. It was, a, it was a really good first day for, for the whole project, like when we finished Pittsburgh, we flew down, we were in the valley, and uh, me and Nicky, we were, we were completely psyched. Uh, that's going to be a really, really cool summer we're going to spend, spend in the mountains. But now it came something I was not really used to. It. Like, 
from here, from Pitt Bernina, we have to cycle a 300-kilometer cycle uh, right to the Berner Oberland to the next peak. And uh, have to be uh, honest with you guys, I'm not a, a really big cyclist. I just did a couple cycles, uh, a couple of trainings in cycling, but I don't really know how to cycle. And um, I was a little bit worried about that. I was a little bit worried about my butt, like cycling so far distance. Uh, but we got really, really good help, and uh, especially what I was, was, a, was something really, really special for me. Uh, it's that's my brother, my older brother, and he's really a cyclist, and I could uh, motivate him and uh, to to just enjoy this this uh, bike ride between Pitsvenina and um, and the Berner Oberland, and he was completely into it. And it was the first time I could share a project with my brother. That was something really special for me. And then we had also very good help that Eric Wild. That guy, he's a triathlete and he's really, really tall, but that doesn't really matter. But he's also, he's quite big. And that guy, he was awesome. Because when he was in front, like, we just had to be really close behind him and it just went pretty easy, you know. And I got really psyched. I mean, I have never done that, but we were cycling like the four of us. It was just amazing, like how fast you can go if you're good. Two and a half days to go to the to the Berner Oberland, and, and after these two and a half days, we really managed to, to work together and then switch lead and, and and like this, it, 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 it's really a lot of fun. And I I, I really got into it from, from the first day into cycling. I was like, okay, I, I want to keep going doing this even after that project. I, I was I was completely into that. And when we got to the Berner Oberland, um, so the first. Uh, Problem started. We came back home. That's where I live, and the weather was already pretty bad. And we, we, we watched the weather forecast, and it looked it looked not really nice. But we knew that in the beginning. We were talking about that, and of course, if you want to climb 80 to 4,000 meter peaks, you cannot just climb in beautiful weather. You just have to you have to be willing also to climb in bad weather. So we, we walked up to the to the Schreckhorn Hut. That was the next peak on our schedule in like pouring rain. We got to the hut and um, it, it, it was quite early in the season and that's, that's super nice because uh, then the hut keeper is not on the hut and in the street out in, in each hut we have these special rooms which are prepared for, for winter and or if the hut keeper is not there so you, you can you can eat, you can cook in your, on your own and it is, it is really beautiful. I like this much more uh, as being up there when the hot keeper is there, he, uh, he's cooking and so many people. We were just the two of us in the hut and uh, uh, as usual, the next morning was way too early. We, we left uh, quite early, like 3, 3 a.m. and conditions were, were really bad. I mean, it snowed the whole day before, uh, it rained quite high up and everything was like uh, completely wet. We had a lot of snow, we had to break trail, but we were 
going up towards towards summit of Jericon. And before we left the hut, we had already a little bit of discussion me and Mickey because Mickey wanted to bring a rope, and I was like saying like, ah, Jericon, you don't need a rope, it's pretty easy to find. Why do you want to bring a rope? And he's like, ah, we never know. And and we we discussed a little bit, and finally we ended up. I I was telling him, listen, if you want to bring a rope, if you carry it, I don't care. But let's go. And he was bringing that six millimeter Kevlar rope, and um, on the end, I was pretty happy he brought that rope <laughs> because, like, the whole rock was like just covered with a thin layer of ice, and it took us quite long to climb Shrekhorn, and uh, uh, we, we were managing it, and we were climbing up there quite safe, but we were really happy, both of us, to have this, this thin rope just to play each other a little bit on this, this slippery rock. And then from, from Shrekhorn, we, we, we wanted to climb another 4,000 meter peak, the, the Lauter Arhorn, because we knew, like, if you just climb one, one peak a day, I mean, you never come to finish that project, so you just have to, to keep going a little bit. And then uh, it, it, it's a really, really nice traverse. It's one of the most beautiful traverse in, uh, in the Berner Oberland and Bernese Alps. Just from Checkhorn to Lauter Arhorn, you're always climbing between three and a half and four thousand meters, and it was it was a really cool cool climb to go up over there. From there, we walked down back to the hut. Then on the hut, we had again over wings, and uh, again the wind was not really perfect for flying, but uh, we managed to get into the air. And um, but unfortunately, Mickey had a, a really bad landing. He he really crashed. On the landing, and um, I didn't see it. I was already down in the valley, and uh, he called me. I was like, "Oh, I had a really bad landing," and I, but I arrived in the valley, and he was he was telling me uh, he had a lot of pain in his butt, and uh, maybe it's not good. But I didn't really listen to him. He could still walk, and uh, and I decided, no, no. The next morning we we have to keep going. The weather is okay. It's not really good, and the next. Mountain on, on the schedule was climbing Munch. And Munch, that's something I do a lot. Like, we were in Grindelwald, and uh, for me, it's kind of a training run climbing the whole that route. It's called Nolan from Grindelwald. It's 3,500 vertical meters of climbing. It's more or less 20 kilometers of distance. It's a, it's a perfect climb. And we started in the morning, Mickey was. Uh, complaining all the time a bit. I shouldn't go too fast. Uh, uh, his leg uh, really hurts and he can barely walk. But we, we managed to get up to the top after after six hours. We were on, on the top. But weather was, was really not as good as we were expecting. I mean, we had a weather forecast. They were they were saying there is like a a, a storm moving in in the afternoon. But already when we we were in the morning, uh, like eleven o'clock in the morning, we were up on lunch, we had like a completely white out when we got to the summit, and it was quite windy. And uh, we were not sure if we, we keep going on that day. But first, we started the descent to Yung Chayok. That's the that's the, the highest railway station in, in the Alps. Uh, it's uh, 3,400 meters. There, we, we met Daniel. He came up with the train. He got us some food, some extra food. Uh, we changed a little bit clothes, and then we wanted to start towards the Jungfrau. And Mickey was not really motivated. He said, ah, it's already bad weather. It's already cold in, and it's windy. Uh, let's, let's go to the hut and have an easy afternoon. But 
I couldn't accept that. I was like, no, 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 no. We cannot stop climbing at lunchtime. This is not possible. We just keep going, and we were keep going, and uh, but he was completely right. Uh, we got up like 200 meters below the summit. We had to decide to, to go back down and call it a day. I mean, we didn't reach the summit. But there's something for me that's really, really important. I have a hard time just to say, like, oh, now it's a little bit bad weather. Ah, it's not going to work. Let's, let's stay in the hut. Uh, this is something I cannot accept. But, um, if, but if you go and have a look, and then you see, like, okay, it is, like, impossible, and you turn around, and you're back in the hut, then it's like, okay, it was a good day. And uh, I think that's, that's something really, really important, that you always try, and then until you really see, okay, it's not possible. And it was a good day for climbing. But the weather was really bad, so we decided to to go down to the valley and uh, it was also the moment where Mickey had to quit the whole project because his leg was, was really bad and he showed me his leg in the evening and, um, and then I understood that he was like complaining all the time his leg is hurting and, and he, really, he had some really serious injuries and for him it was yeah, he had to say, listen, I, I can't keep going like that, and uh, I can let, we can make a break for a week, but uh, he, he told me, no, no, you should keep going, and uh, for me, I call it off. And that was kind of a, of a hard moment, because I just, you know, I was so, like, motivated for this project, and then after five weeks, it was, it was already over, and I decided, no, 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 I cannot stop, I have to keep going, and uh, uh, I started to think about, and we were. Dis- I was discussing with with Daniel, and he said, "Yeah, we, we will find partners to climb." But immediately we start to to phone some friends, and uh, uh, just when I was found in Wallis, I found uh, good people to start climbing. And the next climb was a, a traverse of of seven peaks in the in the Mishabu group, and that was Robert Bush, who is a photographer, a good friend of mine, and he enjoyed me. On this traverse, we started in the morning together. Uh, he took a little bit of a shortcut to 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 Lenchwitze, and I had to keep going and start the whole the whole traverse uh, on 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 other peaks. And he was waiting on on this summit, and he took some pictures from the summit. I I passed him, then he went down to the hut, and I was keep going climbing from the hut. He took the helicopter just to take some pictures from the air, and. The idea is was that he he's gonna wait for me on the other other side of this whole traverse. There is another hut, and then the next day we keep going on some other peaks together. And uh, he was already in the hut, and I was starting to descend from Dome towards Tashorn. But the conditions were really really bad. Like the snow was completely wet, and the rock there is really bad. So I decided. No, that's not going to work. That's way too dangerous for me, uh, climbing without the rope in this kind of, of terrain. And I decided I failed, so I had to climb up again to Dome, and I descended to the other valley, the Sermat Valley. So the first time in, on this project, I was actually on the on the wrong valley. I was calling Daniel and said, listen, I'm on, in the other valley. I need a bike. Uh, he was going all the way around the mountains coming to, to Sermat. Uh, Robert Bush was also coming down to Sermat and we met there and uh, 
yeah, that was the first time I think it went a little bit different than expected, but absolutely no problem. Uh, after I finished the climb, a couple of days after, and all, all, all things. But now, no worries about the whole project. I'm not going to explain you each mountain. I think it, it would be a little bit boring, but I have some, yeah, some stories that are quite interesting. And the next really good climb was when I was back in Zermatt Valley. So I finished all the mountains in, 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 in South Bay, and I went to, to Zermatt. And there I was climbing with a young uh, mountain guide. His name was Andy Steinblum. That guy is a really, really strong climber, and he had a, a really good idea. I mean, I, 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 call, I called him and I said, listen, do you have time for going climbing? And he was like, yeah, I just have holidays and I want to train a little bit in the altitude. And he came up with the idea we could climb all the 18 peaks from the Monte Rosa Massif in one day. And I was super psyched on that. Like, can you imagine when we climb like 18 peaks in one day? After you can take like two, three days off, you know, like, because you have done so much. But I didn't really know how far it is. And he said, yeah, I, I know it quite well. And it, it should be possible. And uh, I totally agree. And you have to know that guy is a, he's a, he's a schemo in, in the National, National Schemo team. So he's super fit. And uh, I was a little bit worried, worried if I keep, can keep up. But we got up 1 o'clock in the morning on the hut, had a little breakfast, had a coffee, and then we set up out for, for, for this climb. And these are always a special moments, you know. You're not talking too much. He was doing the pace, and we were moving super fast. Like, he was in front, and I was just behind, and I just tried to keep up. So, by the first daylight, we reached the Caban di Margarita, that's the highest hut in the Alps. Uh, there, there were just people getting up to start going climbing, and we had already climbed 4,000 4, meter peaks. We had also another breakfast, and then we were just keep moving. And there was, uh, we had the camera team who was following us with the helicopter. They were waiting there. There was stop quick. Um, we had a, a bite to eat, to drink something. But we didn't really stop too long because we were worried, like in the afternoon, the, so, the snow maybe got really, really soft and then we have a problem. So, so we, were, we were a little bit in, in a rush to keep going on, on, on this climb. But we had, a, we had a beautiful day together, really. Uh, we never 
really climbed together before. We, we were really bumping into each other a couple of times, but we never climbed before. But when we started climbing, I mean, sometimes we, we have this partner, it just matches. And I think this is something really, really important in the mountains. If you rope up with a guy, or even if you don't use a rope, uh, you just have to have the same idea. And it, it was completely uh, like that on this day, because, you know, we didn't have this, this game that mom is going a little bit faster and try to, to beat the other one. It's just like we were going there's the right pace. We didn't have any discussions. I mean, we didn't have a discussion about the rope. We were totally both we did agree we don't need a rope for that. Leave it at home. It's not necessary. But it's important that both they are really, really convinced that we don't need a rope because if, if one thinks like, oh, we don't need a rope, the other one thinks like, okay, I agree, but I believe it would be better to have a rope, but I don't say anything. If you don't, then you have always this tension between each other, and we never had that during the whole time. And I think this is exactly what makes that day uh, such a great day of the end. Daniel, he was waiting for us, and uh, I mean, it, it's a great moment when we arrived there after, after 14 hours of, of climbing. We were really happy to see him because yeah, we, have, we, we were quite tired after 14 hours of climbing and, and doing quite a lot of work to meet us and some distance. Uh, and I think these, these are always these special moments, you know, like we arrived on, on Klein Matterhorn, that's the, that's the railway station. And, uh, and then we have a beer together, and these are, like, you know, like, I think the beer after a day like this, it, it just tastes different, I think. And, and, and I think that's, that's all about. But uh, on, on this whole project, I had, I had a, a little bit of problem because, of course, it was really, really good to climb it with always different people. It was a lot of fun. But my problem was, well, those people, they were always perfectly recovered. You know, like Andy, he just started his holiday, so he, he was completely motivated. And I was already in weeks, you know, like climbing, cycling. And of course, I got my, my energy level was, was just going down, and I got a little bit tired. But he decided, no, no, next day is again good weather. We should climb the motherboard. And I said, you know what, my legs. They really hurt, <laughs> and he's like, ah, that will be fine, no problem. And then um, you have to know when you're on, we were sleeping here in the in the station that's flying Matterhorn, and that's actually completely on the other side of the valley. So it's not ideal to go from Klein Matterhorn to Matterhorn. And I tried to explain that to Andy, and he just he, he just told me like, oh, it's absolutely no problem. You know, we just run down in the morning, and then we run up on the other side of the valley, and then we're there. And uh, I, yeah, he was completely right. And uh, I can tell you guys, like, if you have like four legs, and then four o'clock in the morning, the first thing you do is like running down to a valley for one and a half hours, I was 
so happy that when we were in the valley and actually we could go up on the other side. It was much better. So we were at 7 o'clock. We were at the Hurley Hut and we started climbing the Matterhorn and that was actually quite relaxed because Andy, he, he guided the, the Hurley Ridge already 71 times as a guide and so he knew exactly where to go. So for me it was just like, okay, I have to just stay behind him as he will know the, the way up to the Hurley, uh, the Hurley Ridge up to, to Matterhorn. And it was a beautiful day. You see we were like climbing in t-shirts, we were sitting on, on Matterhorn, there were just two other parties, two other guys with clients, so we were just six people on the mountain sitting in t-shirt on the summit of Matterhorn. We had a bite to eat and it was just such, such a perfect day and uh, for me, a, a great, another great day, day of climbing. And I really, during this, this whole trip, I enjoyed really like climbing with all these different people and that was a big part of that whole covers of the Alps. I, I didn't want to do it as fast as possible. I, I just wanted to have uh, fun and everyday climbing. And also here, like, I was climbing with uh, two, two other friends of me, that uh, Uli Diener and, and also Robert Bush again, and then Daniel came along too. So we were, we were four people climbing the Arete Diablo, the Statue of Chamonix. And of course, that's not that's not a really efficient issue when you're a party of four people. Uh, but we had just a great day out there. And that was something really, really important for me on that whole project. Uh, it was never about to do it as fast as possible. It, it was just about the whole experience. And uh, on the end of the trip, I was really happy to climb with, with so many well, so many different people. After I was in, in Chamonix, I was for sure calling up all these different kind of friends I had in Chamonix. And one really special story was uh, I called Jonathan Griffith. He's uh, one of my best friends. He's a photographer and he's a really, really good mountaineer. And he was just in Pakistan and he was just on his way back to, to, to Europe. Um, and I called him uh, to explain him that I need partners now for climbing, climbing in Chamonix. He was still in Islamabad and I said, listen, I wanted to go on the south side of Moblah, that's, that's next on my pick list, uh, when are you back? And he said, yeah, I'm back tomorrow, so day after tomorrow we could go there. And uh, I was telling him, yeah, but maybe, you know, now you spent two months in Pakistan, maybe you come home and maybe talk first to your girlfriend. And uh, he was like, no, no, no problem. And, and he was there, you know, like he got home, packed his backpack, and he left for for the Ecclesiastes. Like in the pouring rain, we were walking up there. It was white out, snowing. It was it was a little bit gross going up there. Rain socks. Did you get wet today? You're sitting out here in the Ecclesi Rock, smoking like three, four hours or five hours in a pouring rain and snow in a white dark. I should be, I'm drinking beer and it keeps my Yeah. I mean, 
it's always like this. You know, you start and then it's like, oh, this totally sucks. You know, like walking in the rain. But we went up there to the Eclat Rock. The next day, we had to sit in this hut for the whole day because it snowed so much. We were like, no, we're not going. Like, the avalanche danger is way too high. We, we sit like a whole day in this hut together. And, of course, he had a lot of good to talk uh, from his expedition. And we, we passed a really good day in this Rock hut. The next day, then we started climbing towards uh, Mont Blanc, and we had just just a great day. But there was something I didn't tell him. Like I just told him, yeah, we just climbed Mont Blanc, and he, um, Jonathan was was thinking like, okay, then we we descend to, to Chamonix. That's where he lives. When we were up on top of Mont Blanc, I told him, yeah, but now now we are already on Mont Blanc. I need to traverse, you know, Dome de Coutte and all these peaks, and then we can be descend to the Italian side because I have to redo another ridge on Mobla and he was like, no, but I want to go back home. I was like, no, we can't do that. And he's like, we had a little discussion and uh, on the end, on the end we, fi- we finally we finished on, on the Italian side. <laughs> no. Of course, I, I really like to climb with people. It's completely a different experience. But for me, also like these days when I'm climbing alone, I think this is something really, really special. And I decided that the other ridge, the Puyar Ridge, which I had to climb on, on Mont Blanc South side to traverse a, a couple of 4,000 meter peaks, uh, I decided I want to climb alone. And uh, again, I start in the valley in Valveni and I climb the whole ridge. Uh, to the summit, and then I descend to the Corino Hut. That was kind of my, uh, of my program of the day, and I really have to say, those days, I really enjoy. When you're alone in the mountains, you know, it's, it's, it's just you and the nature. You can make all the decisions. Uh, uh, if you feel like, okay, I want to have a break and have a bite to eat, you, you stop. It's not always like uh, your partner wants, wants to stop for drinking, eating, or wearing another jacket. It, it's just really relaxed and uh, I think I think it's, it's, it's also you're much more aware of what, what's surrounding you because you're totally alone and when you're climbing on the south side of Mobile there, there are no people so it, it's just you uh, the mountain uh, and just those, those days for me they're, they're really important and for me it's something uh, I, I enjoy a lot just being up there and to do what I want and make all my own decisions. Of course, sometimes it's, it's nice to have somebody to delay, but that's a little bit of the downside of climbing alone. And uh, when I finished the Briarich, actually that was already quite advanced on, on my project, and then finally I just had uh, the traverse of the Grand Shoras left in the in the in the Chamonix area, and these were the last peaks to climb in, in, this, in this area before I could head further south to the last peak.
I was super psyched when I, I reached the, the summit of, of the Grand Shoras because this was for me the moment where I, I knew, okay, now that the project is going to work, uh, I'm going to finish it because I have climbed all the peaks, I have climbed all the peaks from, from the Mont Blanc Massif, which are the most technical peaks, so now I have just the uh, Grand Paradiso left and the two summits of Barletecca. These are technical, uh, really, really easy peaks, so even if the, the weather now is really bad for the next two weeks, somehow I can manage to, to do these peaks, and uh, uh, for me it was kind of like... Uh, kind of unofficial like uh, end of, of the project I was completely now uh, sure that I'm gonna finish this project and it, it was something I could barely imagine when I started on Pitch Bernina you realize like there's so many peaks to climb and then finally you sit uh, on the ground shore up and you, you, you know now okay it's kind of the dessert now. You have three more peaks to climb, and it was not really great. Then I got down to Valveni on, on the campground, which we stayed like for almost two weeks. From there, we climbed all these peaks from on the Mobla Massif. And uh, Matteo Pellin, he owns that uh, campground. He's a mountain guy, a good friend of mine. He organized a, a little, a little uh, uh, something to eat, and it was it was just a great moment to celebrate the. Uh, the whole, the whole, uh, uh, the whole project, and from there, it was just a little bit more of cycling, keep going, and then uh, three more peaks to climb. I climbed uh, uh, the, uh, the the peak, and I can't say that. <laughs> okay, a uh, really easy peak, <laughs> and then I had to go to the Barletecca, but the peak, the most uh, south of, of the Alps, uh, to climb there. First, I had to, to cycle again at over 300 kilometers to get to, to the bar that I had. So, quite a long bike ride. It took me uh, about two and two and a half days over all these passes. And then I reached the, uh, the valley to get to Bar Leteca. And I was super, super motivated because I knew, okay, now there are just two more peaks to climb. So I start running in the morning. And uh, uh, as, as normal, like just go as fast as you can. And then I run up and run and run. And uh, from a certain moment, you get daylight. And I was kind of like looking left and right. And then I've never climbed Bar Leteca, but somehow, it didn't look like what I was expecting, and then uh, finally I got to the end of the valley, and I realized, oh, I'm in the wrong valley, like that. <laughs> like the peak is a valley over. So there was a yeah, that was a moment where like, I was I was just laughing. It's like oh shit, I'm in the wrong valley. So I had to go back down, running down another two hours, start on the parking lot again, and going up to. to to, to Barlet Ekra. So it was a little detour, but on the end I was, I was really happy because like this, it got a little bit more of distance, a little bit more of 42 meters. I ended the day with about, I think it was about around 50 kilometers of running and um, uh, 3,032 meters of climbing. So yeah, I could really call it a really, really good day of climbing for to finish that, that whole project. But somehow it was also a little bit a moment which for me was was kind of, of sad because yeah we had such a great time in this 
62 days I was on this journey and together, especially with, with Daniel, the supporter, we had such a great time. We were living in our van, just the two of us. There were always people coming in, going out, and uh, we were pretty pretty sad about the end of this project. So when, we, when I finished the peak here, we just decided, hmm, maybe we shouldn't go back home yet. And we decided we just just for the, go for the south and we climbed a couple days in on it's just just for us to, to celebrate the whole project and, and give it give it a good end and uh, just keep climbing. I think that's that's the most important part. That was Uli Steck, the Swiss machine, on his 82 Summits Challenge, presented by Alpino Watches. The slideshow for that presentation is not available publicly because you should go see one of these events in the future. It's incredible mountain imagery paired with that incredible mountain audio. Thanks to Heidi Maidema, Vicki Hormuth, and the rest of the American Alpine Club team for their support. Thanks also to our new sponsor, Steo. It's a Jackson Hole company that makes versatile apparel for both your epic alpine pursuits and your quieter moments in mountain life. They sent me a bunch of stuff, and I love it. Head over to Steo.com, S-T-I-O.com. Take 20% off of your purchase with the code MEISTER at checkout. And finally, thanks to you, the Meister fans, for your patience. I took a little hiatus from releasing new episodes. I remember one time in an early episode, we got some advice from a fellow podcaster, Fitz Cahal of the Dirtbag Diaries. He said they take a break every August just to reset. I never really understood that advice until now. I'm feeling refreshed, ready for a whole bunch of new Mountain Meister episodes in the future. I've also been doing some other fun things. You may have realized from this show that I'm pretty fascinated with the way that people make decisions. I've had an amazing opportunity to study this and learn this from a more academic angle under a professor at Harvard. It's just a couple of miles north from where I live. So hopefully this will help me go even more in depth in future interviews. Until next time, I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. Check out our full library of episodes on iTunes and drop us a review if you have a chance. I'm Ben Shank. You've been listening to Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister.